0: Hey everyone, just before we get started, we wanted to let you know that we're going to be attending Fan Expo Canada this year. Fan Expo Canada runs from August 30th to September 2nd at the Toronto Convention Centre. We have a table in the Artist Alley and we're going to be selling books and merchandise and hope you can come down and say hello. See you then! Irasha Welcome back to Historical Fantasy with Guinevere Lee
1: and Noel Sallar.
0: Today, we are going to be talking about bandits, so criminals in the Edo era. Just before we get into that, this is a companion podcast to the story Lita and the Samurai. The most recent chapter, Lita has been captured by... Bandits. Ooh. Yeah. I wanted to write the bandits as realistically as possible, the non-romantic version, if you will. So they're dirty and they're drunk and acting like basic fools in the wilderness.
1: (laughs) Well, like in the Mosav Bandits era.
0: (laughs) Yeah, basically. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the real history of bandits in the Edo era, and we're also going to talk a little bit about some of the more infamous uh, bandits out there.
1: <laughs> I would talk about a little bit, like, uh, the um, Justin systems, like, uh, the Edo area, because even when, like, uh, Tokugawa unified Japan, they try to, like, uh, unificate, like, uh, laws, which should like, a uh, thing, like, in the century 17, like, uh, they don't have a really centralized government.
0: Yeah, not only did they not have a centralized government, but even though Tokugawa had technically united all of Japan, there were still a lot of parts of Japan that had no law, where you could very easily get away with criminal activity, bandit hordes. I don't know what we call them, bandit companies. Yeah. They were always forming very easily. They could run off into the woods and hide for days or months. If they and also, to.
1: we should like uh, remember that, like, uh, <coughs> after the Battle of like Sekigahara, like a lot of Sekigahara, like, Sekigahara, a lot of like. Uh, <laughs> Like uh, the um, the soldiers, for like uh, they lose like uh, they lose like a uh, faction, like uh, what this band. How do you call it when you're the weight of the battle?
0: A turncoat or no? Like a, a deserter?
1: Yeah, after the battle of Sikigahara, a lot of like uh, the deserter because they know they will be punished for like uh, his actions. The only option that they have is, like, become bandits So doing, like, a lot of decades. Like, the government was trying to, like, find and, like, kill all of these, like, gangs of bandits. A lot of time, like, uh, terrorize, like, the rural areas of, like, Japan.
0: Yeah, so basically there was a lot of cleanup that had to be done. Especially in Japanese society where the samurai class, if they lose their their leader, their daimyo, they become ronin. Right, now they are samurai who have no allegiance to anyone. Which depending on what daimyo they meet could either hire them or just hunt them down like bandits.
1: <laughs> because like uh, even technically, like uh, a that uh, running it is not legal. It is like considered like a very, very like um, dishonest. So it is one person that will be completely apart from like the society. And in the most of cases this is like uh conduce to a life of crime or not very honest like a state of life.
0: Yeah. So I was looking up for famous bandits, you know, because Europe has Robin Hood, or I guess England has Robin yeah. Hood. Does Spain have a, a famous bandit?
1: Mm.
0: I know Mexico has Zorro.
1: I mean, it is like a figure that they created, like a mostly for like a fight against like the Spanish occupation. Okay. But I th- I don't really think that in Spain we have something similar. No. I'm thinking about like the um, occupation of the French troops during the... Napoleonic War.
0: maybe you had like guerrilla fighters. Yeah,
1: kind of I mean because basically we made like a guerrilla, for like a warfare against them. But now I don't remember like a like a famous one because technically mm-hmm. they are not criminals. They are trying to liberate the country. But so. right, I guess it's, it's
0: it's all the perspective. Yeah,
1: but no, I I, don't, I cannot figure out anyone.
0: Well, yeah, I mean Canada doesn't have any famous bandits either. <laughs> But I I thought I would take a look and see who I could come up with. And I found two names that were kind of interesting. The first I thought was interesting because it ties back to Oda Nobunaga, who was one of the three main people who created the Edo era. We talked about him in the last episode. Oda Nobunaga. Oda no... Oda? Oda. Oda Nobunaga was killed. Well, the the reports vary, but he either was trapped in a temple that was yeah. on fire or he committed seppuku, or both. <laughs> but the pers- but, but Probably the most
1: probably is like a die in the fire.
0: Yeah. And just the <clears throat>
1: romanticization of like a, his figure, like a less like a, he just commits seppuku. There. Yeah,
0: nobody wants to like imagine him like, you know, having that power. A- in the fire. Yeah, frame. so it's the seppuku is, it's a much more uh, nice version for him to go. This was arranged by a samurai by the name of Akechi Mitsuhide. He was getting revenge on Oda Nobunaga either because Oda Nobunaga insulted him during some dinner or put his family to death or both there you know there's a lot of variation in these stories so obviously the forces who were loyal to Oda Nobunaga chased down Akechi Mitsuhide, and there was this big battle at Yamazaki. Again, I found multiple versions of how this guy died, but the the best version, the most interesting version I found, is that as he was fleeing the battle, like abandoning his troops, like the coward he is, a bandit who was hiding in a bamboo grove by the name of Nakamura Chobe saw him and killed him with a spear. I think this is kind of an interesting story for a couple of reasons, mostly because bandits are not usually portrayed in a good light, so it's interesting that in this story, like, a bandit is basically the hero. I also think it's interesting that we know the name of this guy.
1: Yes, I, I think, like, a, if this happened, because look like it is kind of, like, a teaching history. Yeah. Probably the bandit tried to, like, steal the properties.
0: Yeah, I and mean... <laughs> the, the,
1: we must think, like, a, the, the sword and also, like, the armor of, like, a samurai is highly valuable. Right. Because it's, like, a very good craft. So, for, like, a bandit, especially, like, a very low-class bandit, it is a big loot. hmm
0: yeah, and there were, obviously, bandits would go to battlefields to loot the corpses afterwards. Yes, so you true. would have a lot of bandits hiding in the groves around, just waiting for the action to die down. So, I mean, the idea of this bandit jumping out and attacking this fleeing samurai, it's interesting. It probably didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of a cool story. But anyway, the the more interesting bandit, and by far the most famous, I, I guess, bandit in all of Japan, or... This kind of like outlaw figure would be Ishikawa Goemon. Yes. Do you want to tell, say a little bit about him or should I? No, please.
1: <laughs> <Go for
0: it. laughs> I thought he was really interesting because talking back to Robin Hood again, he has that exact same story structure. Like he was born in a wealthy family, then his family was betrayed or fell on hard times, and he was forced to become an outlaw. And when he became an outlaw, rather than becoming like a greedy, murderous person, he would steal from the rich and give to the poor. So I found him to be an an interesting literary figure. Although he is a real person, he's kind of become a literary character. He's in a lot of like animes and fighting games. So the story of how he actually becomes an outlaw, like after his family is destroyed and he becomes a ronin, he tries to assassinate Oda Nobunaga.
1: No, Toyotomi Hideyoshi.
0: Well, that's later. See, I found (laughs) found two assassination attempts. So apparently he became an outlaw after he tried to kill Oda Nobunaga. The story that I kind of found is that he tries to kill Oda Nobunaga... But then this, like, magical bell chimes. It's sort of like this idea that, you know, the deities of Japan were trying to protect Oda Nobunaga and so alerted him to the crime. He was forced... Goemon was forced to flee and then he became an outlaw. That's kind of, like, the fun story. And then later, he again attempted to assassinate Hideyoshi. And this one, I found, like, it was either for revenge... Because his wife had been killed or... I mean, I'm not really sure what This is
1: like the history that I read. His family and especially like, a, like the spouse of him, like... A, Go in disgrace, like a uh, thanks to like uh, Hideyoshi that in that time was like uh, working for like uh, was like uh, the sub- subordinate of Nobunaga. So when like Hideyoshi becomes the shogun, he tried to kill them. But also, I think it is very interesting to see like uh, how he was executed.
0: Yeah, well, his execution is by far the most interesting story. So obviously, the assassination with Hideyoshi did not go very well. Hideyoshi survived, and Goemon was taken into custody, possibly with his son. (laughs) So I found three versions of this story, but the the one fact that everyone can agree on is that Ishikawa Goemon was boiled alive. (laughs) And there's actually a type of bathtub (laughs) that is, it's like a, just imagine like a big witch's cauldron but uh, big enough to put a person in it. You can find these tubs at spas all around Japan, and they're called goemonburo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't <really> like it.
0: <laughs> yes, in one version of the story, his son is also put to death with him. But rather than let his son die, he holds his son over his head using the last of his strength to keep his son alive. And then after Goemon dies, the son is rescued and pardoned. Yeah. That was only one version.
1: <laughs> In fact, like, I see a like, uh, about these scenes and appear like Goemon holding like, yeah. a, his son there's a lot of, on the head. There's
0: a lot of cool Japanese art that depicts this scene. A more terrible version of that story is it begins the same. He's holding his son above his head, but his intention is not to save his son. What he does is he then throws his son to the bottom of the pot to kill him immediately, Uh, basically like he was mercy-killing his son. Then he holds the dead body of his son above his head as this kind of like, look what you did! (laughs) And then I found a third boring version where he's just boiled to death by himself. I know, I know.
1: Because we must remember that in that time, like uh, the execution ways, in, like the um, Edo area was very imaginative.
0: Oh yeah, they also, had some fun executions back then.
1: Also for boiling, you can be like a burning alive. You have like a crucifixion.
0: Yeah, but their crucifixion was a little different than ours. Yeah, I
1: mean, it is not related well, with, like... A, the our crucifixion. Exactly. <laughs> with, a, with a Christian version of the crucifixion. Yeah, they weren't,
0: they weren't left on the cross for days to, like, starve to death. They were basically strung up on the cross, and then they were run through with spears. Yeah. And the point of being strung up on the cross was more of a humiliation. Because then, like, the corpse would be left up there, and, you know, people would... Walk yeah. by and I don't know, jeer at them or whatever.
1: But probably like a, my favorite was like a sewing. Sewing? Yeah, basically like they put it like a face down. They tie your legs to trees or a structure. Yeah. And they saw you like in the half. Oh, saw! Yeah. Not so inside. Oh my god. Wait, wait,
0: wait. Do they saw you in half like yes. from the head down? No. Or it's like across the waist?
1: Well, it is another one that is different. That is like a cutting by the waist. But okay. I think it is with, just with like a, a sharp object. But no, they put it like, face down. Yeah, With the legs, looking to to the sky.
0: (laughs) So they start with your crotch.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Basically, you're alive. And, well, look like that is not very pleasant.
0: (laughs) No! Oh my God. I mean, I imagine you would die pretty quickly from that. Like, the shock
1: would kill you. (laughs) And another, like, a famous punishment is, like, exile. And they used to have, like, uh, islands, small island, especially, like, uh, near, like... Um...
0: I think they still have some small islands in Japan.
1: <laughs> yeah, but they don't use it, like, as, a, like, uh, exile.
0: Oh, it was, like, an exile colony.
1: Yeah. And mm. in fact, like, uh, with this one very famous, like, uh, case that is, like, Okita uh, Hideye, that is one of the five elders of Hideyoshi Toyotomi. Like a May when like, uh, he died.
0: Oh, the council that was supposed to protect his son but failed awfully?
1: Yeah. So after the battle of Sekigahara, three of them already died. So it is the only survived one. And because it's. Other is,
0: than Tokugawa.
1: Yeah, <laughs> other Tokugawa, of course. Because it's like a high family, he was exiliated to this island. He's exiled. In- instead, yeah, exiled. Instead to be like executed.
0: Oh, so rich people got a pass.
1: <laughs> well, I mean. As I say, it is like a very descriptional for every daimyo, like, at the side, the punish it. But
0: okay, so I guess each daimyo, even at this point in history, they still had control over how people were like, yes, sorry, they, they had control over the laws in their specific territory,
1: yeah, completely. I mean, it is impossible to try to like uh, centralize from like a and also it is delegate completely this. Do you know when
0: when Japan did finally have like a a proper working centralized
1: government? Mm, I don't think they never had it before like a Meiji.
0: It didn't happen till the Meiji no. era? Well, I guess yeah, that kinda makes sense. <laughs>
1: And one other thing that I want to talk that I think like uh, it's important to mention is the tattoos mm-hmm. when like a uh, one criminal made like a uh, one serious offense, especially if when we be exiled or in jail, they put like a uh, they tattoo tattooed. Like a uh, with like a uh, the criminal offense in order to like uh, in the case like uh, this person ran away of the island. Everybody still knowing that he was he is a criminal. Mm. And with the pass of the time, like in the Japanese culture, like uh, the society started to relate the tattoos with the criminals. Yes. This is the origin of the Yakuza, like uh, obsession for the tattoos.
0: I thought that came from samurais. Because I've, I've seen pictures of samurai from like around the, the Meiji Restoration and they have those amazing arm and back tattoos.
1: Yeah, but happened that, like, uh, the, um, the Yakuza clan was, uh, like, uh, an heir for, like, uh, the samurai structure. Well, yeah. <laughs> so when, like, uh, the, samurai, the samurai clan was, like, uh, a down some samurais, they are not allowed to, like, accept that, and they become criminals.
0: Yeah, and, yeah, still to this day, tattoos have a very negative connotation in Japan. Like most spas, you know, where you can go and enjoy the yes. goemon bureau, you cannot go in if you have a tattoo.
1: Because the Yakuza used to like a lot like a thermal bath, and because they cannot like a Yakuza forbidden, they wait for forbid the access to Yakuza is forbidden to do. That.
0: Which is funny, because there are also a lot of hot springs in Japan which do very much cater to the Yakuza, and they're open to the public as well. Actually, Noel has a few awesome Yakuza stories. I don't know if he wants to share them, but...
1: Well, I don't think they're, like, uh, too awesome. But basically, like, the resume is, like, uh, if a Yakuza want to go to one spa, they will go.
0: Yeah, no one's going to stop a Yakuza.
1: <laughs> basically, because they, they prefer that just enter, enjoy the bath and leave, that have, like, a, a drama, call the police, and, you know... Yeah. So basically, like, uh, the only, like, there's rule only for the non-Yakuza tattooed persons. That is, in the end, ironically.
0: Well, yeah, those are, like, regular thugs on the street wouldn't get in. But, yeah, uh, exactly. They, when the Yakuza boss shows up at the spa with, you know, his five guys hanging around him, like, yeah, no one's gonna say anything. And sometimes, uh,. Noel will just be enjoying the bath, and he'll turn around, and there's just this old guy with these tattoos yeah. down his arm, and he's like, Ah, oh, the Yakuza have yeah. arrived. <laughs> I guess that's it for today. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so thank you very much for joining us. Yes. Uh We're actually getting ready to go to the Fan Expo for this weekend, so if anybody's hearing this before then, we hope that you have a chance to come down, and if you're hearing this afterwards, We hope that we saw you there. You don't question why you're running through a forest bamboo. You don't give yourself time to think. You run. You scream. You cry. You run and run and run. And you hope the man chasing you with a bow and arrow doesn't kill you. and the Samurai is a tale of a modern girl in ancient Japan. Only available on chanillo.com. That's... C-H-A-N-N-I-L-L-O dot Lita, a young woman who moved to Japan to escape her abusive family, is slowly adjusting to her new life. She's learning Japanese, making friends, and enjoying the summer festivals. On the day of the famous Tanabata festival, she finds a small shrine, but when she steps out of the shrine, she steps into Edo-era Japan. Trapped 400 years in Japan's past, what follows is half fantasy, half historical fiction. Is her coming here an accident, or does it have some Something to do with the sudden appearance of European ships off the coast. Lita must discover how she ended up in this situation and how she can get back home, or if she even wants to go back. Lita and the Samurai updates bi weekly on Mondays. You can read the first chapter for free on chanillo.com. Once again, that's C H A N N I L L O.com. We were the first and we will be the last. From Morgan James' fiction comes the exciting new historical fantasy Orope, the White Snake, by Guinevere Lee. The whispers of the gods have seen the vision, the gods destroying the world in a flood because the old ways have been corrupted and forgotten. Three are chosen, Tersh, Kareth, and Shadi, to go out and warn the world. The gods must be appeased. In Orope, the White Snake, Tersh must leave her children and travel to Matawe, the kingdom in the mountains. She also must care for Kareth, and keep him out of trouble. Kareth, told since birth that he is destined for greatness, has been expecting this moment. Certain that he is ready, he quickly discovers that his confidence and curiosity have a tendency to lead him into dangerous situations. Shadi finds himself traveling alone to find the people of the jungle, the Petsuhalpa. The jungle seems like a paradise until he discovers the darker rituals practiced within. Samaki is a merchant who returns to Mahat, to find his home destroyed, his father dead, and no one to buy his expensive cargo. With his first mate Tewhark, the merchant struggles to move forward after his entire world has been upended. The stories of these four travelers intersect and entwine with each other as they move towards their destinations. Guided by visions, the whisperers must use their wits to survive in these strange new lands that would rather use them as political pawns than listen to their warnings. Available in paperback, digital, and audio wherever books are sold. To learn more about Guinevere Lee and her writing, visit guineverelee.com. G-U-E-N-E-V-E-R-E-L-E-E dot And thank you for listening. Music provided by bensound.com.